tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Football at 5. Brought to you by Advanced Hair Seattle. Find out more at advancedhair.com. Now, here's Softy. Tony Softly back with you. Broadcasting live from Carter Volkswagen Studios. Joining me now is a good friend. Longtime friend. He's known as the stat doctor. The NFL stat doctor, Dr. Richard Weiner. Doc, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well, Tony. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I appreciate you joining me. Hey, man, set the stage a little bit and let everybody know a little bit of your background. I know you started with Kansas City Chiefs, and you've gone and done a lot of Super Bowls over the years. So give, give everybody a, a quick synopsis of, uh, of your background. Sure. I started working at football games when I was 15 years old, actually, helping out in the press box at the old Municipal Stadium in Kansas City. And during that time, helped with the PR director, and had the opportunity to work at what I still consider the greatest football game I've ever seen, the Christmas Day playoff game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. It still remains the longest football game ever played. So that got me going. I did uh, broadcasting. I did play-by-play on the campus stations in college, then started doing stats at the Chiefs games, and then went around to various uh, cities where I went to school in New Orleans and St. Louis, and then back to Kansas City. And then I've been in Atlanta now, 33 years, hard to believe, and during much of that time, I've been doing stats while also maintaining a practice, a private practice in psychiatry of all things. There you go. I don't want you to put me on the couch, so let me ask you a couple questions here. Sure. Similarities between uh, Super Bowls, I mean, the Seahawks, uh, it, you know, have, we all knew what happened there uh, and uh, against the Patriots, but uh, you know, in the past couple Super Bowls, is there any similarities that uh, you have uh, discovered uh, looking at your statistics? Yeah, it's really pretty remarkable. I still have patients who come in to see me here in Atlanta, and they still can't talk about what happened in February <laughs> in Houston. So <laughs> it's sort of like they're not ready to talk about it quite yet. In fact, I've prepared an article which will probably be posted on my website here pretty soon. It's called Super Bowl Stats to Help Falcons Fans Feel Better, and that's probably a nice thing to have available just in case. But there are some pretty amazing things that happened when the Patriots played the Seahawks two Super Bowls ago in Super Bowl 49 and when they played the Falcons in February. One of them that is really sort of stunning is the fact that all four New England touchdowns in both of those games came on second down. Hmm. And coincidence, perhaps, but it's really remarkable because on the plays leading up to those second-down touchdown plays, the Patriots only averaged 3.1 yards on first down. And their touchdowns averaged 6.8 yards, the eight touchdowns in those two games. So pretty remarkable that that's happened. And the fact, too, that New England has not scored in any of the seven first quarters of Super Bowl games they played in the Belichick-Brady era is pretty remarkable as well. But that's one that really sort of stands out. And I, I don't really have a good explanation for yeah, it. Yeah, I was about to ask you why, why, you know. Because when you look at the first down yardages that the Patriots averaged in both Super Bowl 49 and then 51, not so great. I mean, mm-hmm. they averaged three and a half yards on first down against the Seahawks. And they didn't do a whole lot better against the Falcons, averaging five yards on first down. And yet, Seattle averaged 9.9 yards on their first down plays, and the Falcons averaged 11 yards on first down. So you would think, just looking at that, you would certainly have a pretty good idea who should have won the game, and yet it didn't play out that way. So as good as Seattle and Atlanta happened to be on first down, it really turned around on the third down plays in both games. Because Seattle was 3-for-10 on third down, Atlanta 1-for-8. Mm-hmm. And their only third down conversion was a touchdown pass. 
And yet New England ended up 8 for 14 against the Seahawks, 7 for 14 against the Falcons. So they were at 54%, huge difference there. And when you look at how many yards the Patriots gained on their third down plays, they averaged just under seven yards against the Seahawks, just under eight yards on third down plays against Atlanta. When you look at the two teams that didn't win those games on third down, right. the Seahawks averaged only 1.2 yards on third down plays, and the Falcons were minus 1.6 yards on third down plays. Hmm. So it's sort of like, well, that's great. You did really well on first down, but when it all came down to you know, the, the very bottom line of things, third down was pivotal, and then they got all those touchdowns on second down. Yeah, you know, third down is the, the money down, as they call it. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan against the uh, Patriot uh, defense. I mean, what was their passer ratings like? Well, their passer ratings were really outstanding. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of remarkable when you look at it that Russell Wilson had a 110.6 passer rating in Super Bowl 49. Wow. And that was nine and a half points better than Brady. Yeah, that, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, one of the rare times that, you know, a losing quarterback, I should say a losing quarterback, yes, in the Super Bowl, had over 100 for a passing rating. And with Matt Ryan, it was even more remarkable because Ryan actually, after three quarters, was perfect at 158.3. Yeah, I remember that. And finished the game at 144.1 nearly 49 points higher than Brady. And it's really, when you think about it, amazing that only six times in Super Bowl history has a quarterback been on the the winning side and had a lower passer rating than the opposing starting quarterback. And it's happened three times with Brady. And I think you'll remember the third time because that was Super Bowl 38. I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah. Passer rating than Brady in that game also played in Houston just like this last February. Yeah, he he and uh, Steve Smith and, and Musa Muhammad hooked up for a lot of balls that game. Yeah, that's I had a feeling you were going to bring him up. He he had a good game as well. Yeah, so so Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan are two three, and, and where does Tom Brady fit into the passer rating then? Well, I mean Brady has had solid passer ratings. Yeah, I mean he was in the upper nineties uh, against Atlanta. He was at ninety. I think it was. Uh, But the big difference was he threw interceptions. Yes. He threw two against the Seahawks, and he had one against the Falcons, and that was a pick six. And interestingly enough, that pick six by Robert Alford was the 15th interception return for a touchdown in Super Bowl history, but the only time that a player on the losing team had a pick six. Hmm. Hmm. All the others, including... You know, the Seahawks had one themselves when they right. won Super Bowl Forty Eight. Yes. That, but this was the only time that a player had a pick six and was not there to help carry the Lombardi Trophy away from the end of the game. All right, dig in your crystal ball here and, and, and kind of dig up some stats here if you have any. I'm sure you do. That uh, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, you know, hopefully will improve on uh, over 2016 to the 2017 campaign. Yes. Well, one of the things that I noticed since the Super Bowl championship season is that the Seahawks have had a declining performance as far as turnover ratio goes. You know, that year when they won it all, they were plus 20, which yes. is just remarkable. And not only were they plus 20 during the regular season, but in the postseason, they were a plus seven with one turnover and eight takeaways. So when you look at the number of games they played, which I guess would have been 19 games that particular season, they were plus 27. I mean, that's just unheard of. But the following season, 2014, they were plus 10. Then two years ago, or season before last, plus 7. But during that 2016 season, they were only plus 1. And that really is quite significant. And then when you take a look a little closer at points off of turnovers – that's been an area the Seahawks have been so outstanding in recent years. Yes. In that year uh, when they won Super Bowl 48, they were plus 85 points on points off turnovers. And in the postseason, they were plus 28 just in three games. Mm-hmm. So then the following season, they were plus 49. Then in 2015 season, 
plus 58, but last year only plus three. You know, last last year, not to interrupt you, Doc, the the Achilles heel around here was the red zone, red zone performance. Yeah. Yeah, and and it was very, very different, both on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. You're right, because the Seahawks have had no shortage of red zone opportunities these last four years, for Mm -hmm. example. I mean, the, the fewest they had in any season of the last four was 49 trips to the red zone. So that's an average of just over three per game, and that, you know, was in 2015. And last year they had their poorest touchdown-to-field goal ratio in the red zone on offense with 26 touchdowns and 24 field goals. And every other time uh, in in the preceding three years, they were in roughly a a one-and-a-half-to-one ratio of touchdowns-to-field goals, which is really good. Yes. On defense, though, that's where it was quite different. In the championship winning season, they had allowed 20, uh, 36 red zone opportunities for the opponents, allowing only 13 touchdowns and 14 field goals. And any time you see a team giving up fewer touchdowns and field goals on defense in the red zone, they should be having a really good season. So they did that, and then last year, just by comparison, 46 trips to the red zone by the opponents, 26 touchdowns and only 10 field goals. Interesting. Very interesting. And they forced one turnover last year when the Super Bowl year, they actually forced seven red zone turnovers, which is an incredibly high number. So, yes, the red zone definitely was the Achilles heel. You know, I sit next to Hugh Mellon and Curtis Crabtree up in the press box when we watch Seahawk games, and, and the one thing that uh, I look at Hugh and we look back and forth at each other is is protiv- productivity in opening drives. Talk to yes. me a little bit about stats, and, and is there an advantage or disadvantage for Seattle? Well, it has been quite an advantage when you uh, look at 2013, 14, and 15, the Seahawks have been plus 117 points on opening drives of both the first and second halves combined. Last year, total turnaround, minus 15. So the Seahawks scored 19 points on opening drives of the first half and 17 to start the second half. And that's the exact number of points that opponents got in the second half, but the big difference was that first half when they allowed opponents to score 34 points when they had their opening drive. So that was their minus 15. The year before, plus 66, which was really something to think that the Seahawks had 99 points on opening drives. So you figure, all right, 16 games, 32 opening drives. They averaged a field goal every single opening drive. And last year, instead of 99 points, they had 36 points mm. on opening drives. And and I think what goes along with that to a certain extent is the fact that the Seahawks trailed by over 100 minutes more than they did in the 2015 season. Right. So that kind of follows. In, when they won it all, it was remarkable that the Seahawks led for over 515 minutes in 16 games and trailed for only 209 minutes. Yeah, you want the lead, man. You got to get the lead. Play with the lead, and and especially when you have a team that has been so successful running the ball. Yes, as the Seahawks have been, then that's just gravy for you when it's all said and done. Doc, I'm up against a break, but let everybody know your website so they can uh, check you out. Sure, sure. Well, it's uh, uh, Doctor Rick Weiner. It's D R R I C K W I N E R dot com. There you go. You heard it from the man, Doc. I appreciate you joining me, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks again, Tony. You got it, buddy. Doctor Richard Weiner. Hey, he is the stat doctor. This guy's got a stat on everything. Trust me when I say that. Coming up next, college football uh, review. We're going to uh, throw out a couple names, or I'm going to throw out some names of some guys you might want to check out and listen for in 2017. Tony Softly, right here on Sports Radio 950, KJR. This is the Dave Muller Show. Softy. Now, back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. To me, they're perfect. I don't want anyone touching the balls after that. I don't want anyone rubbing them, you know, putting in the air in them, taking the air out. To me, those balls are perfect. Dave Softy Muller. <laughs> those balls are perfect. 
That's my man Curtis Crabtree throwing that up there, and I like it. Oh, that was so good, man. So good. As promised, a little college uh, football preview. And, and you know what? We We know about a lot of the players in the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the ACC and the Big Tw- and the Pac-12. But, I mean, some of these other lower conferences, you know, the Big Sky, Big South, Ivy League. You really know. quick, Tony. Me, I, You want to plug who's in here with you tomorrow this time in, of day? Who's in here with me tomorrow? Chris Fetters. Oh, yeah, Big Chris is in here. Yeah, we're going. Coming five, in for an hour. Yeah, for a little over an hour. Little Huskies. He's going to talk Huskies. We're going to talk Cougars. We're going to talk 2018 uh, high school recruiting class. You don't want to miss 5 o'clock football. Is that what it is? It's, it's football at 5, excuse yes. me. Yes. Football at five right here, and and uh, and Chris will be in here uh, doing his thing. The the uh, he's the editor of Dogman, correct? I'm gonna uh, say yes. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. They, yeah, it is. I don't, I don't know his exact title over yeah, there. That's just, it. All, all of them are the same. Yeah, that's Kim, it. Chris, Scott. They're just the Dogman guys. They're that's the three headed the the three headed monster is what I call them over there. Those guys do a great job. There's no question about it. Uh, yeah, he'll be here tomorrow from uh, five to a little after six, joining us here in studio. So. Uh, you know, when I spend a lot of time during the offseason, like I said before, my, my company is a, is a consultant for the NFLPA. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we go out and find the 112-man roster. We try to find the best available football players to, uh, to uh, not only identify them, then uh, we got to evaluate them, and then we have to recruit them away from East-West Shrine and the Senior Bowl and, and other bowl games that are out there. And, and so we, we dig through every, every conference there is in the country – to make sure that we're we're finding some of the best talent out there, if not the best. I want draftable football players, and that's what I tell my scouts. And I have three scouts that work under me. So, uh, you know, just through my film studies, there's a couple guys in each conference or multiple guys in each conference that I've come up with. Uh, Big Sky is uh, Cole Rise. He's a defensive back out of North Dakota. I'll be making a trip over there during uh, two-a-days uh, to check those guys out. Uh, free safety, six one, about 213 pounds, prototypical NFL body, defensive player of the year in 2016. He's he's got that NFL skill set that you're looking for, the hitting ability. He can corral and tackle. Uh, he can uh, chop and arrows in space. Uh, he 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 is a, a complete football player right now, and most definitely NFL uh, prospect. Uh, so I, I'll be over there checking those guys out during two days. Uh, the Colonial Conference has an outside linebacker from James Madison by the name of uh, Andrew Ankra. These are names that you're going to hear in the draft. So. Take some notes there. Uh, he's an outside linebacker, or what they call the cat. He's, he's a stand-up, rush-in type player, uh, 6'3", 235 pounds. He'll be projected to an outside linebacker next year. Uh, you know, he's got that burst and acceleration, change of direction. He can stick his foot in the ground and, and uh, be moving the other way. He's got very good speed, size-speed combination. And uh, he, he's going to be an interesting guy uh, to watch uh, – uh, this fall, I won't be able to make it to James Madison, but um, you know, one of my scouts will uh, get out there and take a peek, and we'll assess his talent and uh, you know see if we're going to invite him to the game. But uh, he's a guy that's definitely on our our watch list. Uh, out of the Big South uh, Conference, uh, Khalil Lewis, a uh, running back, uh, plays for Gardner Webb. He is a junior and underclassman, not eligible for the NFLPA game or any postseason senior games. That is. Um, but five uh, nine, about two hundred nine pounds. He's at about a four four three, four 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 forty. This guy is an inside runner, outside runner. I know you're thinking five nine and that size. You know he's big enough, but he's not tall enough for that inside. This guy is. He's an inside runner. He can do power stretch to the outside. His speed. Fourteen rushing touchdowns last year. Uh, so he can he can uh, you know he's very productive inside outside. I'd like to see him catch some more balls. That's not what they do. They're a ball control type offense, but I'd like to see, uh, like the NFL scouts would like to see him catch uh, some more passes out of the backfield. Uh, out of the Ivy League, and yes, there's Ivy League players. They're not only smart guys, but there's Ivy League football players in the National Football League. John Lovett is a quarterback at Princeton, 6'3", 222 pounds. Had uh, kind of a dual threat type quarterback, 31 touchdowns, uh, 21 rushing, 10 passing. He was the player of the year in the Ivy League last year. I think that uh, I want to see him live, and I will see him play this year. Arm strength to me is a question, but I, there's a lot of players, a lot of uh, quarterbacks that have played in the National Football League that don't have cannons or rockets for arms. Uh, the important thing is accuracy. And, and while he has that, I'd like to see him improve on that a little bit. 
uh, and it, it'll be interesting to watch him in, in a couple different scenarios uh, this upcoming season. In the MEAC, which is the uh, Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, Darius Leonard, a linebacker out of South Carolina State. And South Carolina State's been ter- uh, putting out some good football players over the years. But, I mean, the last couple of years, they've really been putting out some players. Uh, this kid is uh, 6'2", 223 pounds, uh, defensive player of the year, uh, All-American uh, in that conference. He is the epitome of chase and pursuit. It is off the charts. I mean, he hunts on the move. That's a, a term I like to use. And he gets there with bad intentions. He's got a good change of direction. Uh, the the game that really made me go find out who this guy was was I was watching Clemson and grading Clemson, all right, and they're playing South Carolina State. You generally don't see this happen. It does happen on occasion. This young man had 19 tackles against Clemson. South Carolina State, linebacker, 19 tackles versus Clemson. They couldn't block this guy. And, and so, uh, I mean, you know, obviously he's on the se- he'll be on the Senior Bowl watch list. He's going to be on our watch list as well, the NFLPA. So, He's a guy that um, I enjoyed watching, and uh, he'll be at the next level. Darius Leonard, linebacker, South Carolina State. Uh, the Valley Conference, uh, again, some of the small schools that uh, you know I go look at, uh, and I'll be visiting these guys as well. Mis- uh, Missouri Valley Conference, uh, Dallas uh, Godert is a uh, uh, out of South uh, Dakota State, and I know a lot of people say South Dakota State. Yeah, football players come from all schools, man, all sizes, all nationalities, and you got to go turn those rocks. But this guy is, this guy just stands out. This guy is a freak of nature. He's 6'4", 260 pounds. He's got great hands. He can snatch the ball. You see him one-hand snag balls. He's got to develop a little bit more of a, uh, as a blocker. I call these guys TEAs, an athletic tight end that does everything athletically, catching the ball, running routes and everything. Where he might fall a little short is in blocking. Uh, TEB is a blocker primarily that falls a little short in route running and catching the ball. And a TE, a tight end, is a guy that can do both. He's well-rounded. This guy here is a, a TEA, a very athletic tight end with size and speed. He's he's a very interesting guy. And, yes, I will be going to South Dakota State. I, I've been there, I think, twice in my NFL career, and, and I'll be going there uh, during training camp uh, this year. Uh, let's see the Northeast conference, uh, not too many players. And I didn't have a lot of film out of there, so I can't speak on that. Ohio Valley conference, uh, Ebenezer Ogu Duku. I hope I said that right. He's a defensive end out of Tennessee state. I'll be swipping through there in, um, during training camp, uh, transfer from Clemson, 6'3", 260 pound defensive end, uh, before uh, his injury. He only played eight games last year. Uh, 11 tackles for loss, 5.5 sacks, and two forced fumbles. With his size and his speed that I see on film, I've got to go see him during training camp to either put him on the list or eliminate him, uh, one or the other. Again, just going through some guys that I think that are going to be guys that you're going to hear some names called uh, during draft time. They're very, very interesting as far as athletically. Um, You know, you you see them play at a higher level uh, and – uh, they stand out, and so that's these are reason why um, I'll be going. Phil Savage from the Senior Bowl will be going, and uh, NFL general managers and college directors will be sending their scouts in to see some of these guys. The Pioneer League, uh, Jonathan Peterson, a defensive end out of San Diego. I was there in the spring, uh, 6'1", 235 pounds, very active, very productive, uh, 12.5 sacks, 23 tackles for loss. He's got good football instincts and read reaction quickness. It just jumps out at you on film. He'll be a linebacker uh, at the next level, depending on what his 40 is and his drill work as far as change of direction and and that uh, burst and acceleration. But uh, 6'1", 235, he's not playing DE at the next level. Um, you know, more more likely a linebacker. But uh, the production is is just off the charts, and it's very noticeable when you watch this guy on tape. Uh, the Southern Conference is uh, Dexrit uh, Newsom. Uh, this guy's a running back out of Western Carolina. Not planning to go there, but I might have to. Uh, you know, he's uh, all-purpose yards. He led the uh, FCS in 213 yards a game. 5'10", 209 pounds is what I'm guesstimating. I didn't get the exact height from uh, the coaching staff. They didn't call me back in time when I got on the air. Uh, 1,331 yards, uh, rushing, 342 receiving, uh, and he had 15 touchdowns, uh, which also included 970 on the kickoff return. This this guy might might be one of the best all-around athletes, all-purpose guys anyway, uh, in the FCS. Uh, make sure that you listen for Mr. Newsom out of Western Carolina. 
the Southland Conference. Uh, P.J. Hall, defensive end, is a senior out of Sam Houston. Sam Houston State always has some uh, good football players over the years. 6'1", 285 pounds, uh, big, fast, body balance, control, uh, player of the year out of his conference. This guy is interesting. 24.5 tackles for loss last year, 13 sacks. <laughs> Somebody's not blocking somebody over there. 67.5 tackles for loss in his career. This guy will play in the league. P.J. Hall, uh, there's no question that, uh, you know, where is he going to play? And, and, you know, his height is uh, 6'1", 285. That tells you that, okay, is, is he? what's his speed going to be like coming off that edge? Um, you know, where's defensive end, outside linebacker? Um, you know, that's going to be interesting. Uh, his size tells me he's not a linebacker. Uh, but uh, you never know. Um, we'll see what happens uh, on the workouts and everything. In the SWAC, it's uh, Martez Carter is the guy that caught my eye, running back, kick returner out of Grambling. Uh, this is the ex- the most exciting all-purpose player that I saw uh, during the uh, my film reviews. Uh, 5'8", 175 pounds, though. But uh, this guy is is a uh, – his change of direction is a blur. Uh, you know, big things come in small packages, and this guy is, is – uh, is one of those type of situations. Not very big, 5'8", 175, but uh, to play running back, and that's where they have him listed, kick returner, punt returner. I think he's going to have to be a specialist at the next level, but I like everything that he brings to the table. Uh, the Patriot League, uh, Chase Edmonds, running back uh, out of Fordham. I think by far this is going to be uh, the best football player out of this lower level of uh, colleges. I shouldn't say lower level, but – out of the colleges that I've, I've graded and mentioned to you today. Uh, Chase Edmonds out of Fordham, uh, 5'9", uh, 208 pounds, which is prototypical size for a running back, especially in the National Football League. 5,285 rushing yards in three seasons, 62 touchdowns. This guy's big-time athlete. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can block on third down, inside runner, outside runner. I'm going to go see this guy play live, and uh, I'm going to go to, uh, I think they play Yale, and Fordham's in New York. I think it's in the Bronx. And uh, make, a, make a trip up there to see this young man. But Chase Edmonds uh, will be a sought-out player in the National Football League. Uh, make sure that uh, you remember that name. Curtis, in your days of, of um, covering the Seattle Seahawks, is there any one player that, you, that came in, small school guy, that just made, turned your head and made you go, wow? Yeah, Ricardo Lockett. Yeah. Yeah. Fort Valley State. There you go. He had a great training camp when he first got to the team around 2011, 2012 yeah. or so. Shame what happened to him. Yeah. Um, he seems to be healthy and, and okay and everything, so that that's good to, to see. But, yeah, obviously his NFL career came to an, a pretty abrupt end there. Um, How about the wide receiver uh, from uh, – East uh, Central Oklahoma. That's here. Well, this year. yeah, he's going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah. David Moore, right? Right. Um, obviously, another small school, Division two school. Um, there's been some other D two guys that have come through from time to time. There's a running back out of Northwest Missouri State, uh, Xavier Oman, mm-hmm. that came through at one point. Um, got Charlie Martin was a receiver from West Texas A and M. Was here for a stretch. Um, but Ricardo Lockett was clearly the the most notable guy because of his speed. Like that that was something that stood out to you right away. Size too, because when I first saw him here, when I got here and, and started working here at KJR, I was out at practice. He went jogging by. I was like, whoa! I mean, I, oh, yeah. I don't remember him being that big. It was like, look at this. Yeah, he looks the part, big oh, time. Oh man, there's no question. And that's the same thing with the young man from uh, East Oklahoma. He looks the part too. Former running back, thick legs. Um, you know, very interesting when you start breaking him down on tape. He he's a he's an interesting football player, and then you watch him in the rookie mini camp, and and you know a little bit of the run in the OTAs. Um, I man, is is and we we're going to talk about this in the next segment. But is <laughs> I mean, how many spots? You got six spots, right? For receivers, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this is loaded up now. It's going to be one of the higher areas of competition through training camp. Without this is question. loaded receiver, up. Receiver. Running back and defensive back, I think, are going to be the three most heavily heated areas to to keep an eye on. Yeah, I once mean, camp gets going, here. yeah, you, know, you got McVoy. McVoy, he's he's here. He's not yeah. going anywhere, and he's a special teamer. He's a proven commodity. I think uh, he's done enough to to warrant a jersey. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you when you break it down from Baldwin, Lockett, Curse, uh, Richardson, the two rookies, Darbo and Moore, Tanner McAvoy. Um, 
you run out of spots pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I mean, and, and there's other guys in that mix too. You don't even get to a Case and Williams yeah, or a Kenny a Lawler yeah. on that front. So, um, well, Lawler is surprised me because he's gotten bigger and yes. it looks faster. I mean, he looks the part now. I mean, before he looked like a stick. He's figure still out there. pretty small, but he looks more capable from yeah. a size standpoint than he did. He he was he was uh, extremely skinny. Now and now he's sleek. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. <laughs> because he doesn't have a lot of bulk on him still. But I, I mean, you know, I was impressed that he's been doing something during the off season. Yes, and and, it, and it's obvious uh, not only running routes and catching balls, but. He's been in that weight room, and kudos to the strength coach over there who I've known for years when he was at SC with Pete. And uh, he does a good job with those guys, getting them ready and getting them ready to go. Okay, coming up next, Curtis and I are going to do a little chit-chat. We're going to talk. We're going to swing it around sports. There's one topic i got to ask him about, LeVar Ball. What are your thoughts? I'll give you mine. You're listening to Tony Softly, Curtis Crabtree, right here on Sports Radio 950. KJR. This is the Dave Mueller Show. Softy. Now, back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> Dave Softy Mueller. Oh, we're talking about practice. Tony Softly sitting in for the soft one, Dave Softy Mueller who is uh, vacationing with his lovely wife in Maui. Good for him. So uh, he has uh, turned the keys over to Tony Softly and Curtis Crabtree. I'll tell you what. And we're going to run it. We're going to run with it and have a good time for the next couple days as well. Curtis, I, I got I to ask you a question, man. Gauge where you're at on this. I, I had to catch myself on Twitter. Say, so, oh, let me slow down. Let me put my phone down. LeVar Ball is driving me absolutely nuts. That's exactly the point. Yeah. And I said out on Twitter, just shut your mouth. And when he's t- he says he's going to take the gist of the situation or the story was he was he was going to be better than Magic Johnson. God, the guy hasn't even played a game yet. Just let your son relax and get develop into a good NBA player. You're trying to one of the best ever to play the game, a Hall of Famer. I get the pump. I get the hype, you know, that he's trying to do. And, and Well, for, forget the comments about his kid. You saw where he said he could go beat Michael Jordan one-on-one in his prime. Well, you know what? LeVar Ball, who averaged 2.2 points a game at Wazoo back in the day during his career. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? His sons are, are very good football, football players. They're very good basketball players. And, uh, you know, it's... I just don't I, – I know for a fact that people are not going to uh, dislike the son for the father's sins. There's no question about that. But I'm just tired of listening to this guy, man. I'm just tired of it. And, and the thing about it, he's not going to go away. Well, that's the whole point. Yeah. He keeps talking to where you're focused on him and keeping the name out there. It's his version of marketing. Well, and you know what? the arrogance of him going to Nike and Reebok and Under Armour and saying, hey, listen, you guys want to join in on this shoe deal, they were laughing at him. I mean, it's like, no, 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 dude. We, 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 we're the giants in this industry. You know, good luck on go ahead and starting your own shoe. We, we went, you know, we did, we've done 50 years of this. now, and, and some of them, obviously, Under Armour hasn't. They just started here, what, 10, 15 years ago. But, uh, you know, it just, uh, you know, the, I don't know. And everybody's – it's open to, to free enterprise. You know, go get what you can get. But it's just uh, snubbing your nose at some people that have been doing it. You think you'd want to go in and learn. Well, again, the the whole thing for him is just every time an ESPN, a Fox Sports 1, a sports radio station talks about LeVar Ball, it's free advertising for him and his kids and his shoe company and all of that sort of thing. That's the whole point of the whole thing is to keep his name out there in being talked about and getting light on their shoe and therefore come buy it, even though it's sold for a ridiculous price and all of the above. That's the entire point of the whole enterprise. Yeah, there's a, He's there's... willing to be the lightning rod and say, I'm okay with looking like an idiot, but it's going to make us money. What's going to make him money is, is what he did the other night. I'm talking about Levo- uh, uh, what's his Lonzo? Name? Yes. 
I keep I have the I have the younger son's uh, name oh, no. in my head. Yeah, because of the ninety two points he scored last year. Uh, but Lonzo, he is, he's, uh, you know, he had a dud his first time out and obviously that wasn't him. He came back and had the first triple double in, uh, you know, summer league play. So, I mean, we know he can play. Uh, I just hope that he just is not distracted by all of that. And, uh, there was, what player was fined in the league for tweeting out some negative stuff, uh, on ball. He was fined ten grand the other day. I can't remember his I name. I can't remember. Yeah, and either. and so the NBA went out immediately and fined him and said, "Okay, well, I know there, there'll be none of, of that." Seventy Sixers have clowned on him. Yeah, well, before. well, the league is clowning on him, and not because of who he is, just just because of the dad situation, man. Just let your kids settle in, dude. He's going to be a good pro. You know where he takes his career is going to be up to him, not you. Well, you know? I, I still wonder about his his shot ultimately because he's got that weird release, and I wonder it's if funky. it works in the NBA and he can still get his shot like he could even in college. But um, he's got some skills, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think he's got to work on a short range jumper and not that long range kind of tuck his elbow in and push off shot. It, it's very strange, but I love his ball, his defense, and he he, he assists his assist and ball placement to to his players are. Uh, his teammates are, is quite uh, quite nice. You know, switching gears a little bit, uh, uh, Lacey and Rawls, man, this is going to be a good uh, a good battle. Is Lacey going to be healthy? I mean, I have no idea. What was what was it? Ankle, leg, knee? Well, he had an ankle issue last year, so he had surgery. Yes. Here's another guy they signed that's that's hurt. Well, coming back from being hurt, yeah. Um, so we'll have to find out once training camp gets here because. What he was able to do in OTAs and such was still pretty pretty minimal. He did some jogging around with the football and stuff like that, and but he's not a guy we're going to be able to understand what he can do until he's in pads either. Yeah, you know, I was I can't remember who I was standing next to on the sideline, which really isn't important. It might be you, it might have been you. Uh, and I was just looking at his physique, just standing there. He doesn't look like a football player that uh, is in shape to me. He doesn't look like a football player. That is uh, training to lose weight. Now, wh- what's his next mark? He was at two forty-five. What's he have to get down to now? What was- I think two forty-five is the the main one. Oh, that is the main one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, th- I think they. I He's mean, just got to maintain that. Then. From my understanding, they want him to be between two forty-five and even to two fifty-five. I think they'd be okay with. But yeah, they don't want him at two twenty or two thirty. Or they they want him to be sitting about two forty, two forty five. I think. Yeah, the escalators, and he gets paid on hitting the marks on on losing weight. How about that? A football player, it gets paid x amount of money for, to make sure you lose weight. Whew, man, I don't know what this is coming to. That that wasn't uh, you know you know Chris Jenkins who played with us at uh, Carolina had had a weight issue, um, but uh, you know that wasn't uh, part of his contract. There's no question. We didn't have that. The other thing I wanted to bring up to you is uh, Eli. You saw Garrett Blunt has a weight clause this year too with Philadelphia. Yeah, I saw that. But what's his weight up to? Did he? Blow uh, it? I don't know what the what the particulars of it are. Just that he had one as well. Yeah, you know, I, I guess there are some of those in there nowadays. Uh, you know, you got to tell a guy to stay in shape and lose weight, and it's unbelievable. Uh, Eli Manning. Uh, there's an article out now that, and I'm not sure who wrote it, but Eli Manning uh, is being like to uh, LeBron James. Why? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I need to go in and and see who actually wrote that article because it was uh, it was I had to read it and then I had to tweet on it as well. Um, it uh, it was uh, Connor Orr. Uh, actually wrote this Eli Manning like LeBron question mark uh, Damon Harrison explained so it's Damon Harrison uh, who is one of his uh, teammates you know it, it what it really comes down to is this I statistically yes Eli's a Super Bowl MVP twice LeBron's won that he's done that uh, he's not very well liked by the media uh, because he hasn't won more uh, same thing with LeBron. But when it comes down, what the differential for me is LeBron is one of the greatest athletes on the planet, and he's probably number one or number two in the NBA. Eli Manning's probably not even in the top ten as quarterbacks. Eh, maybe top eight. I, I don't. I, it's funny to get that comparison. I, I just started laughing. So uh, his teammate uh, is the one that put him up on that pedestal. I'm sure Eli Manning's not going to comment on any of that. I mean, that, to me, it's – it's just a headline to read. It's uh, we're in the cone of silence. There's not much going on, so it just it caught my eye as I was reading through some of the some of the headlines. Your thoughts on LeBron James? 
that Eli Manning isn't in the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't understand how that even came about, man. Eli Manning is an average to marginally above average quarterback that got hot in two postseasons. That's all it takes, though. It it is. I mean, that's that why they've got two the Super Bowls. But it doesn't mean yeah. he's a great yes. quarterback. Yes, I agree. See, I, I hold great for the guys that wear the yellow jackets like Kenny Easley's about to get in three weeks. Yeah. Those those guys those guys are great. Eli Manning. Everybody else is exceptional. See, the thing is, and because he won two excellent. Super Bowls, Eli Manning may end up getting there too. But he's just, it's not the same level to me. Like, he's just not that type of quarterback. No. Never no. has been. Like, when I watch the Giants play, there's nothing that makes me go, wow, what a play by Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. It's very rare where I think that he does something truly, like, spectacular from the quarterback position. Now, the throw to Manningham on the sidelines in the Super Bowl, that was a great throw. Fantastic throw. And they needed every bit of it to get that win over the Patriots. But um, it's few and far between to me. Yeah, there's no question. I, I just I, I, I laugh when I saw that. <laughs> I just had to. I had to bring that up to you because I, it, to me, I was just like, wait a minute, Eli Manning like LeBron. I had to read the article. I really did. You're listening to Sports Radio 950 KGR. We'll be right back. Curtis Crabtree, Tony Softly. You can follow follow me on Twitter at Softly SCA. And Curtis uh, Crabtree is at Curtis underscore Crabtree. More Sports Talk Radio right here on 950 KGR. Dave Softy Mahler. There we go. Little J5 in the house. You know, the last fight I was at, I think it was Mike Tyson beat up somebody in like 90 seconds. It was going to the closed circuit television. It was at the arena. And I didn't even get in the door. And people were walking out. And I had my popcorn, just went to the concession stand. And they were walking out. So there's no way I'm going to pay for another one of these. Here, in order for these guys to get $100 million each, yeah, you've, you've got to charge $89.95. That is unbelievable. Who do you think is going to win that, man? Uh, Floyd Mayweather. You think so? Yeah. You know, I, I think he will You win. have a boxer facing a non-boxer in a boxing match. Yeah, I think that's going to go pretty well as expected. He's boxed before. Yeah, so. but he's not a boxer. No, but you know what? The thing that Merriweather and I didn't like him against Pacquiao... Because he doesn't stand there and, and fight. I mean, it's not like that's Thomas why he Hearns. wins though. Like yeah. he's so fast, he just moves well, around. I don't know if he's fat. He just jabs, he scores, and then he runs. He j- scores and runs. Thomas Hearns and, and Sugar Ray, they would stand toe to toe and try to knock each other's heads off. This guy doesn't do that. It's a total error. Oh, total I, different I, I hate watching his fights. They're I boring. It. It's boring, but he's going to win. Yeah, and well, it's not going to be a thing. The only thing that I, the only thing, if I was a betting man, I would put some money down on McGregor just for this. If he gets one of those wild, over-the-top punches that lands, man, I could just see it happening. Unless he decides he can take him down and ground and pound him or something like you know MMA style, I don't well, think he has it. a chance. That's in the, he loses a lot, over half the money if he does MMA, yeah. so he yeah. can't do any of that. Yeah, no kick, spin, no backhand punching, none of. I mean, uh-uh, that's yeah, out. It's just it's the same stuff Floyd's done his entire career, where yeah. he's hooked up fights that he knows he's going to win. Don't get me wrong, I like him. I just think it's boring to watch. Him. Uh, I don't like him. I, I wouldn't pay to. Go, I wouldn't pay eighty nine ninety five to watch him. I wouldn't do it. No, I wouldn't do it. Not. I think he's a punk that's treated women badly throughout his career. I think he's a jackass. Yeah, that's, but that's me. That's well. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Think that. There's a lot and, of and his fights are boring, but he's gonna win. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, ah, I just, uh, I'd like to see somebody get him. You know, or at least give give an effort. I mean, stand in there and box somebody, man. Don't be hitting and running. That's come on. I, I guess I'm from the old school. I am old school. I like to see you know. I like to see guys stand in there and, and do their thing. Marshawn Lynch is in the news. Uh, Fam First Foundation football camp down at uh, the Oakland Raiders supported him and him giving back to the community down there in Oakland, which was uh, good to see. He's always been that uh, that gracious type of player, giving back a little bit. Um. The other guy that's in the news is uh, our very own Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson and Jay Keeps have uh, started uh, Quarterback Academy, and I'm, I'm sure that everybody's talked about this, but they haven't heard our comments on this. You know, I, I uh, to me, I don't know if is it a distraction? Is it not a distraction? Can he do both? Is he going? How much is he going to be involved? I mean, there's 
there's recruiting to the kid. Obviously, he's going to pay people, work for him, and all that. But uh, you know, just your focus. Where's it at? And uh, that's something that you do when you retire. You know, uh, it, it just it, it kind of surprised me when I saw it come up. Now, is this? I mean, what, what's your thoughts on well, that? Well, I mean, the Mannings would do stuff down in Louisiana all the time. Well, right? they just hold a camp. Yeah, this, this is an academy. This is full on, not just a, a week. This is take you on and develop you. This right. is like a recruiting thing. Well, I mean, as long as he's only doing it in the off season, it shouldn't be any issue. True, true. Um, give him some other outlet to throw footballs around with when they can't <laughs> have their team together. I guess I, I don't know. Yeah, just I, I thought it was very strange and timing and everything. And Jake Heap will be, uh, I guess, his partner in crime in that. Uh, I think it'll be very successful. There's no question because that, you know, that's how Russell is, you know, and uh, he's going to see that through and, and make sure it's going to be that. And every kid's going to get, uh, you know, a, a lesson, a life lesson, an athletic lesson. I mean, he's he's going to take care of it that way. I'm not worried about that. Just just hope that there's, there's no distractions, uh, you know, in, in what he's got to do. He's already got the wife. He's got the baby at home. He's got the fam going. Um, you know, it just, uh, you know, good for him. I'm not hating on him. Just saying that's uh, – Hopefully there's no distractions. Training camp uh, is uh, July 30th, Curtis. It's here, man. I ain't here for three weeks. Don't rush it on me, okay? <laughs> Are you ready, dude? Not yet. Uh, you know, I'm. You know, what does it last? It, uh, training camp itself is what the first 15 practices. Uh, something, something around like that. that. Yeah, it yeah. usually goes through the first preseason game. I think before they break. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. So they they start 15 days before. They can open camps 15 days before the start of the season. So it'll probably be about a three-week, yeah. two-and-a-half, three weeks of camp, quote-unquote. Yeah, I'll be there for the first about uh, 14 practices. Then I'm going to hit a couple small schools, you know, North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota, some small schools in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, Tennessee Tech, Tennessee State. Well, we do have one question here from the text line about the Seahawks that – probably up your alley. I, I think I know who he's referencing, but it's only one name. So, hey, Tony, what's the chance Jordan makes the Hawks roster? I, I assume he's meaning Deion Jordan. Yeah, Deion Jordan. Deion Jordan's hurt. you got to bring me up to date on him. He didn't Deion do anything. Jordan had another surgery on oh, his knee. Okay. He had it to clean up you know, loose bodies in the knee, which is remnants from the other injuries he's had there before. He had that about – two to three weeks left in the off season or so they didn't know he was going to need to have it when they signed him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that that's his health situation. I would assume if that's all it was, was a little cleanup procedure that he would be back in time for training camp. But I don't know that. Yeah. Now he was the, he was out of Oregon. Yes. I third li- overall pick in the draft. Yeah. The thing, the thing with, with Miami did, they tried to make him into something that he wasn't, he's not an outside linebacker. I think he's a down rush in. I think he's a DPR. Put your hand in the dirt and go get the quarterback. And they wanted him to gain a whole bunch of weight and do some other things. And uh, they even th- split him out on tight ends from time to time. Right, right. Very limited. Right. But. And then and then he had the PED situation. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Me if I'm wrong. And knee injuries. Yeah. And then the injuries. So he mounted. hasn't played in three years. Yeah. I mean this this is uh, well this would be he, he missed be, the last two seasons. Yeah. This would be the third year. It uh, very very talented athletic young man and uh i'm not sure where the knee is or how what the injuries are going to amount to be talented athletically but i'm not sure he's a football player well i think he's a football player but i don't think he's wired right to be a backer and i think miami should have known that before they drafted him if that was going to be their projection because there's a big difference of being putting your hand in the dirt and being a dpr designated pass rusher and a guy that's got a drop in space look for receivers coming in and out of your sector. Oh, now I got to stick my foot in the ground. I got to come downhill and make a tackle in space. A lot of guys aren't wired right for that. I mean, there's guys that just, okay, all you have to do is put your damn hand in the dirt and go hurt that quarterback. And there's a lot of guys can do that. And he did that fine at Oregon. So I, I don't, uh, I don't know what the transition down at Miami, and there was a whole bunch of stuff going on down there. What went on uh, and, and why? And then the injuries mounted and then the PEDs, because he's trying to get big or whatever he was doing. Um, I, you know, it's John, John and Pete took a chance on this guy to go back and answer his initial question. His chances of making the roster, I think are less than about 3%. It's, it's called slim and none. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you talk about Michael Bennett, he's going to be a defensive end for them. Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Malik McDowell, um, Cassius Marsh, Frank Clark, Quentin Jefferson, yeah, Jefferson's hurt. Jefferson's hurt. Well, he's What's coming. Wrong? He's coming back from a knee injury last year. Yeah, I saw him running around. Was it OTAs? He was just kind of yeah. training. So Nazair Jones 
And, and I mean, you're you're running out of spots right then. And then. Well, you're out of spots. Yeah. So you only have about four or five spots for defensive ends. Yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, there's another guy they, they sign hurt. You know, it, it's uh, that you're hoping that something's going to happen. I, it's That's interesting. That's very, very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, rookies report what day? Do you know? Let me see. Let me see when those rooks report here. That, that to me, is the fun part, especially when I was in the league. It, it was fun to see those young guys come in. They've already been there for rookie minicamp. They've already been there for OTAs. They think they kind of arrived a little bit, and it's still the deer in the headlights. You know, the rookies report, the, it says 729. Um, veteran 729. Everybody reports the same day? That's, that, oh, wow, everybody reports the same day. Generally, it's a, you know, like when you look at New Orleans, uh, the rookies report the, the 19th of uh, July. Uh, the the veteran, rookies can report a little earlier. Yeah, they, yeah, I was just saying New Orleans is the 19th. The vets come in the 26th. Yeah. And then their camp starts the day after the 27th. So, yeah, it, it varies. Uh, you know, I look and there's quite a few teams that are different, but Seattle's going 29-29. Good for them. Everybody's coming in as a team. One, one other question here from the text line. Uh, don't expect him to make the team, but what's the word on Jordan Simone? It's a cool story no matter what. Yeah, Simone, actually, I played uh, against his father in high school. And, uh, you know, he and my brother uh, and Jordan's dad are, are pretty good friends and, and neighbors. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good story. It's, it's a local kid trying to make the club. Uh, something like uh, Kason Williams, you know, uh, at wide receiver. It's uh, it's probably going to be a long shot, but I think when you're you're coming off an injury like he did, and you are trying to at least get on a practice squad, and I think that would be his his target uh, to to achieve this year, uh, and grow with the uh, grow with the organization, learn the scheme, get get used to everything that they do and how they do it, uh, and learn how to be a pros pro, and you know handle your business off the field. Uh, sharp young man, uh, you know, and and very good family. So, uh, you know, I'm rooting for him, you know, at least to make the practice squad. There's no question. Well, that's an uphill climb for that even, too, I think. Yeah, it is, but you never know what they're thinking and, and, and how I mean, they He showed them enough to, to ultimately find a spot on the roster at this point in the offseason, which, um, given the fact that he wasn't in the NFL a year ago, um, it's a good step. Yeah, And it gives him a chance to build upon it. Have these guys always kept 10? Mm-hmm. On practice squad? Oh, uh, well, since they expanded it, yeah. They always have gone to 10. Yeah. There's a lot of teams that are 7 or 8 or whatever. But there, uh, There's actually like negative ramifications if you don't keep a full practice squad. Yeah, at, from the points. league office. Yes, yes exactly. But I, I think that, uh, you know, because he's a try-hard effort young man, I, I really believe maybe they'll save one of those spots for him. You know, I just I, – I know – uh, when setting up uh, our practice squad, the the pro guys and the and college guys didn't have much to say about it, but the pro director and college director, when I was in Carolina and St. Louis as a VP, we'd always save one or two spots for a guy that busted his butt and that we wanted to kind of develop. And, uh, you know, maybe he falls into that category. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to see. It really would. Um Anybody else that uh, you're you're excited to see uh, that might have been dinged up during the OTAs? Uh, well, I want to see if CJ Prosize can stay healthy. Oh, there we go. We haven't even talked about him. Oh my goodness! Like if he's healthy, he looked good. He, he looked good. Looks like around. he can do a lot of cool things. He looked like he gained some weight in his upper body I, too. I think he has a little bit. Yeah, he's and chest I, I want to see. Arms. Speaking of gaining weight, I want to see George Fant in year two. Because yeah. he looks physically different. Well, he was what? What did he weigh? He weighed what? Two ninety last he, year. I think he said he weighed two eighty five, two ninety. And, and what is he now? Three twelve. Three three twenty. Hey man, he, that he's big up athletic. a good solid twenty five. I hope he didn't gain pounds. too much. I don't think he did. I think it looks right. It looks right. Uh, he yeah. still looks like he's two hundred eighty pounds. That's the crazy thing about it. Um, he he's a good looking young man. Long arms, athletic, good feet. I, I was I wasn't down on him. It was a learning process for him, and unfortunately, you know, it had to to be that. But uh, in it's order, it's just the reality order, of the situation. Yeah, right. I mean, a guy learning the position like that. But I mean, on the move, man. The athletic skills needed look like they're there. Yes. Oh, there's no question about that. And he's got a frame that it seems like can carry the weight load that he's in and still be able to move really well. Yes. Yeah. So he. Like, even just talking to him the little bit we did in OTAs and minicamp, whenever it was we had the chat with him, you could see, like, there's a level of confidence there that I think he has, that he feels much better about his situation. The fact he feels he can take on a bull rush now and withstand it. Yes. Um, Which is important because yes. that's what he's going to see a lot of. And you know what? You said 
You said it. It's the confidence of this young. They're young. They're young all the way across the board, other than Britt. They're young. And and what they had to go through and endure last year, the beatings that they had to take and, and the excitement that they did have when they played well as a unit, I, I think it's just going to aid them. And, and Pete Carroll, I don't know, I heard, I think, on the uh, Chuck and Puck show, uh, Pete talked about the offensive line and and uh, how they you know feel good about it. Uh, not a lot of surprises uh, coming this year to them. All the stunts and games and and some of the things that they might be throwing at them, they will be able to recognize and react because they have seen that they have gone through that. I, yeah, I'm I'm not as down on that. Is uh, it's a, it's a working process. One more from the text line, yeah. Tony. Do you expect big things from UW's offensive line, particularly Trey Adams? You know, I love Trey Adams, and I, and uh, they've got a new offensive line coach that came from Boise just uh, in the spring. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, well, Strasser's been there, but I don't know who the – They lost somebody that went to the pros. Strasser was the one who left. Okay, I, I, okay. No, 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 then no. the guy that came in was from Boise that knows their system. Yeah. Uh, he talked highly of about three or four of those guys. Now, I missed going out in spring. I saw the spring game. Uh, so I'm excited to see these guys in training camp. And that's – you double up? Do you go Huskies and, and... – I don't. We okay. just pretty well – Softy usually runs over there and grabs all the UW-related stuff. I stay out at Seahawks most of the time. Yeah, I, I think I'm oh, – I not think. I'm going to go over to uh, training camp and, and see those guys uh, as they get going because I want to uh, keep an eye, obviously, on the seniors for interest I have for the NFLPA game, uh, but also to uh, take a look at some of these young corners, the offensive line, like this young man just asked us a question – it's an exciting time over there. They've got two running backs out there that are the best combination in the country, in my opinion. So uh, it's going to be fun to see uh, see those guys come together and and uh, and watch those guys, you know, as a unit, not just as an individual, but as a unit. So I don't know what's uh, going on with the Cougars. I got to figure that out a little bit, and I, I got some names, but I don't have uh, a lot of. Uh, footage right now on those guys so i got to make sure that uh i get up on my cougars because i got uh i got my high school reunion coming up here and there's quite a few guys that uh went over to washington state that uh, i'm gonna have to put up with so got to make sure that we keep those guys under control any uh anything else you got there uh young man i about wraps up our day one here i think pinch hitting for softy yeah, day one. Uh, let's see, what do we have uh, coming up? Uh, Matt Mieko, we're going to talk at 4 o'clock tomorrow. We're going to talk NFC West uh, with Matt Mieko. He's a 49ers uh, beat writer, has been doing that for over 20 years, a couple decades. Uh, obviously, Curtis, One of the best down in the Bay Area. Oh, for sure. man, he is awesome, dude. Uh, and I'll tell you the story about me meeting Matt. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story before. Oh, my goodness. you know. And uh, obviously, Chris Fetters, the editor of uh, Dogman, he'll be joining us for – for an hour from 5 o'clock on for our uh, football at 5 and, and work all the way to uh, probably to the end of the show tomorrow. We've got a lot to discuss with him. we got uh, Huskies. we got Cougars. we got two, 2018 recruiting class, high school recruiting class, that is. So we've got, uh, we got quite a bit uh, to discuss. Uh, and then Curtis is going to uh, keep us up on the home run. You want derby. one more quick one off the text line? Yeah, we got time. Uh, what do you think we can expect from the corner opposite Sherman, and is that player on the team now? I think the player is on yes. this team. Yeah, the player is on this team. Now, is it going to be Lane or is it going to be the rookie? It depends on how uh, Shaq Griffin develops. We had him in the NFLPA game. I think Lane will be on the field for pretty much 100% of the cornerback snaps. Somewhere. But, yes, uh, it will probably be some sort of mix between outside and into the slot. Um, so he's going to be a, on the field a ton. But I that would. other that other outside spot will probably vary a little bit. It could be Shaq Griffin. It could be Nico Thorpe. Yeah, see, it could I, be DeAndre Elliott. Yeah, I don't think Elliott's going to make it in the mix. I I, I I like Thorpe's body type, but I don't. He's been here a while. I don't know why. And you, well, they, both just him and Elliott were here last year. Okay, just yeah. it was Thorpe so was his first Thorpe time. Thorpe just came over last year. Did yeah. he come in injured? Uh, he came over from I want to say Oakland off of uh, waivers or something. Right at the end of uh, about after the first week of the season. Well, I'll tell you what, he looks good, man. He looks. He good. does and some Elliot, nice things. Elliot was with us in the PA game as well, man. So, uh, you know, all those guys are in the mix. You can't count those guys out. When Shed coming back, that that's going to be interesting. You know, um, you know how they work that situation, but. Lane Lane is is interesting for me. I don't want to weaken the backfield. I want to keep Lane inside and find that outside guy uh, because now I don't think Lane's strength is the outside. So, I mean, do you weaken yourself at both positions or just one? And, and so, how how do you do that? Well, it and, depends. Is Lane the, still the best option for the outside spot? That's the thing. I mean, like you've seen them do it before, where they bump that their outside guy inside. 
they did it with Byron Maxwell at times when guys got hurt yep. to where their best slot option was also their best outside option. And so you had to keep that guy on the field at all times. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I get that thinking. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, don't weaken two spots, just weaken the one. Right. And, and uh, I've seen enough at lane outside that, you know, I, it's, I don't know. We'll see. We got a lot. We got a long way to go. Tony Softley here wrapping up for the Dave Softley Mala Show. We'll be back tomorrow. We got a great show lined up for you. Curtis is going to be here. I'm going to be here. Uh, I hope you tune us in. Hey, Tony Softley signing off right here on Sports Radio 950, KGR.